Brew Strong is brought to you by Blickman Engineering, home of the top-tier brewing stand. Visit them online at BlickmanEngineering.com. Time for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think, Jamil Zainashev and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. Howdy, hey, my brewing brothers and sisters. Greetings, greetings. Ah, yes. That's the best Skype connection I've ever heard. Yeah, it is. It is. It's almost like he's in person. Yeah. Almost Impersonating like who? <laughs> it's almost like he's in the studio. Yeah, it could reach out and touch you. Yeah. But, uh... <laughs> yeah, don't. 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, <clears throat> God, you know... Headphones sound weird. I sound weird. I don't know. It sounds weird. But, you know, I, I wonder. See, I'm getting getting to a point in my life where uh, maybe this is... This well, is, it could be just the weather changing. Maybe this is just a segment for Jay-Z's physical problems uh, corner. But uh, uh, the other day, just like all of a sudden, I couldn't hear out of my right ear. Oh. I'm like, what the heck? You know, there's like you get a ring in your ears or something like that. It wasn't mm-hmm. like that at all. Just cut the signal off completely. I was like deaf in my right ear. Hmm. Like, but it came back, heck? though? The hearing came back? I mean, it was like that for, you know, till I went to bed. I woke up in the morning. It wasn't so bad anymore. Hmm. Might I bug. like, you know, hit a, hit a nerve. A bug? You think a bug crawled in there? Like he a, just kind of slept up next to the eardrum. Didn't let it move. <laughs> But no, I ha- no. Actually, this is before I went to bed. Nah, so I actually had a friend that uh, went. But to- these shows have made me deaf. close to deaf. Ah, these headphones. I, that I can believe. That yes, I can believe. but I actually had a friend back back in my aerospace days that uh, woke up with. Uh, Been that one, long one, since you one had year, a friend? Yeah, yeah. back in the aerospace one one year had gone out and he had trouble with balance for a couple three days because I mean yeah the the whole year just right. kind of quit. Huh. So uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't. And that I don't didn't know come back. There you go. Yeah. You know, strange physical maladies. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what that makes me think of? Our good friend John Blickman? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about your, your strange physical specimens. Hey, that, that, guy's, that guy's one of them right there. Uh, you know, if you went to the uh, AHA conference in San Diego, uh, you'd see what I mean. Because he'll yeah, be there. He'll He's be there. always there. He brings his whole crew, and they set up a... Uh, an incredible display of of Blickman gear that you can touchy feely, yeah. you can ask questions, you see how it operates, and you know you got the engineers right there. That's right. And he brings along every time. Uh, you know, we get to the the conference a little early, end up running into those guys, and they invite us out to dinner and all uh-huh. that, and just fantastic. I have a great time with Blickman and, and his it's guys. always fun hanging out with them. Good people. Yeah, definitely. You know? cool. Yeah, I like them. I like them a lot, and. Uh, Apparently they like uh, all our listeners because oh, they, yeah. they continue to pay for the show, so our listeners don't have yeah. to. That's I mean, cool. you know, you, you gotta gotta hand it to them if when they a company of Blickman, they know quality, they make quality stuff, and they support quality shows like this. <laughs> you had me until that last part. That yeah. made me laugh. <laughs> they, well, they support shows. Uh, there you go. I, I'm 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 with you on that. Uh, and if you'd like to support them, go to BlickmanEngineering.com. Blickman with two N's, and there's a B in there somewhere. Uh, and, and a lick. And, 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 a, and there's a lick in there. And uh, check them out. Uh, lots, of, lots of goodies on there. And uh, if you get a chance, uh, say hi to them. Tell them thank you. If you're at the conference, make sure you, you stop by the booth and say hi. Uh, they'll they'll appreciate it. They, yep, like, they like they like hearing from uh, the listeners. They they enjoy it. Uh, I enjoyed uh, meeting up with uh, some listeners. We were doing a uh, Evil B pint night up in Roseville somewhere. I'd like to say uh, we did a Evil B IPA a Honey IPA collaboration with Michael Fairbrother from uh, Moonlight Meadery. 
Oh, yeah. He I came out. That, yeah. We brewed that beer, and then uh, he came out for the events. And we went to uh, this this place in Ro- I can't even remember. My memory's so bad. It's part of part of my hearing loss, I think. And uh, uh, was it a beer bar? Where, what was bottle it? shop? Yeah, yeah. I can't remember. Anyways, I know uh, which one you're talking about, though. Right. So it's in the corner of the strip mall. It's there. And Final Gravity. Yeah. There you Final go. Gravity. And um, we love you guys for Final Gravity. You have an unforgettable place, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> I just, uh, you know, I go to so many places when we do these things, and uh, and I lost my hearing. Did I tell you that? Huh? Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I ran into a longtime listener, Jason uh, Valdez, and he he had a, a Russian Imperial Stout that he uh, submitted to competition and got like you know some. It was picked to, for. Uh, some commercial brewery to uh, to brew, and so he's all excited about it. Kind of thing, yeah. And you know, he had taken ins- inspiration from us. Cool. Uh, I I imagine he said that. I can't really recall at this point, but I think <laughs> I think he said he took inspiration from us, and so he wanted to share a couple of bottles with us. Oh, nice! Very and nice. Uh, very nice of him. I, I, it, that was like a month ago or more, and so I put them in the uh, fridge until Palmer was here, so we could all drink it together, talk about it on the show, and it, lo and behold. Today's show is going to be about stouts. We're going to do a right. Q&A about stouts, uh, all the questions that people ask us. And apparently people ask a lot of questions about stouts, <laughs> enough to make a show of it. Go figure. Yeah. Uh, but uh, what do you think of the beer, you guys? Well, it uh, you do get the – I was looking at the recipe. It's and- got some complexity to it. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll give it that. It's uh, it's nice that he did. He went fairly light on the specialty malts. I mean, why don't you not click overwhelmed. off the recipe for us okay. here, real quick? Well, it's it's sixty five percent two row, five percent crystal one twenty, four percent chocolate malt, two percent caramunic, one percent roasted barley, and then seven pounds of light DME to help get the gravity up. Um, so good, good, ba- you know, good recipe for an imperial stout. Uh, nothing real overboard on the specialty malts, which I appreciate. Mm-hmm. And then he then he had some fun um, doing some some extra ingredients. He put in two pounds of uh, Filipino coarse ground coffee into the secondary, um, along with a half pound of oak chips. Um, the oak chips had been uh, steeped in uh, Jim Beam's Devil's Cut and six vanilla beans for three months. So you know, absorbing that character into the oak, and then that oak going into the beer, mm-hmm. and. Uh, so you do get uh, some of the vanilla. And, right, uh, right. I get that. I get the coffee. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A little bourbon mm-hmm. uh, notes coming through. Mm-hmm. It's uh, quite a complex aroma. Right. You know, I would expect uh, more body, more fullness. I mean, that's, that's uh, you know, finishing out pretty dry. Yeah. Well, it's, it's got... And I don't know if, you know, maybe... When it was entering competition, it was, you know, a little more full, and it's continued to attenuate over time. Or, you know, again, I had these things for for a month or more, but I did have them in the fridge, so I would think that would slow it down. Isn't isn't it, um, like, I'm getting tart, like a a bunch of tartness from this beer. Is it my palate because I'm drinking coffee, or has it got There's some acidity there. Now, you you get acidity from uh, the dark malts, for one. You know, so that's going to add almost, uh, you know, a little bit of a, uh, you know, sharpness to it. And yeah. then, uh, you know, there might be, you know, something else in there. When you do the there's a layer you know, of sediment on coffee the of the and things like yeah. that, you know, that can really add to it. Mm-hmm. It's, it seems overwhelming for the style, though. Is, is it too much, do you think? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, if you're talking classic Russian Imperial Stout... Um, no. This is a specialty Dang. beer. Right. Yeah. It's, you know, too much bourbon and vanilla and coffee and all that other stuff. Uh, if somebody entered it in as, a, you know, a Russian Pearl Stout, I'd, I'd say, no, it's it's not the style. But people do that all the time. It, you know, it doesn't – and that would be, you know, competition-wise. Maybe he entered it as a specialty yeah. Pearl Stout or something like that. I don't know. So if you have unintended, uh, if you're getting tartness from these kind of beers and you don't want it, and you want, hey, I want a roasty, I want right. far away from tart for this. What do you? What I'd do, go more towards the chocolate malts and less towards the higher kiln malts for one, because uh, you know they're a little less uh, accurate, a little less sharp, mm-hmm. and you know more chocolatey than uh, you know coffee like, and then um, 
Yeah, I wouldn't let it attenuate quite as much. I think a little bit of back sweetness would make a big difference in something like this. Mm-hmm. And then, the thing about um, coffee beers, too, is that they're, they are always best fresh because you mm-hmm. have the oils from the coffee, mm-hmm. especially if you don't have a really dark roast coffee. Those will tend to degrade and oxidize over time, uh, and you will get some... Well, you know, old stale coffee notes uh, and you know stale beer notes coming out, especially if the you know if the beer's been around a while. So freshness in a coffee beer is, is important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been working with a local uh, single source coffee roaster in uh-huh. my area, and uh, he's been bringing me like here's some Rwandan, which is apparently all the rage now. And then there's the, uh, you know, this one's from, you know, Sumatra and this one's from, uh, you know, Vietnam. And this one's from, you know, wherever Mm -hmm. all these different single source coffees that he roasts. And, uh, I talked to him about, uh, cause I get a little bit of the, uh, that green pepper jalapeno thing from this beer, which I, I don't care for. That's one thing I, I don't like. And uh, I found it in certain malts. Um, mm-hmm. When you're making it, uh, you know, if the maltster didn't do a good job, you can get that. And I, I, f- I find the same thing in coffees. Right. And so I talked to him about that. And he goes, oh, yeah. He goes, I know exactly what you're talking about. And he goes, yeah, it's, it's somebody not roasting the coffee right. Really? I would yeah. think it was it was just a natural characteristic of coffee in general. Right. But, I mean, there's all those aromatics and all that. And you can drive that off by roasting, like in... Uh, you know, in, in dark kiln malts, if they don't do it right, you leave behind this kind of vegetal thing. It's like, you know, boiling off DMS uh, out of the kettle. Yeah. It's the same thing in those. There's certain compounds you do want and don't want, and you get the right kind of coffee, and it doesn't have that. Right, right. And I've, I've tasted, you know, that before. So you got to be real careful about that. So I, it's really cool to find somebody who uh, has that knowledge least, and yeah, the knowledge and understands what I'm talking about when I say this. Mm-hmm. You know, I've I've mentioned it to a number of people before, and they're just like, "What? Huh? Um, sure. <laughs> Maybe it's just that they can't hear out of their right ear." And it could be. On the I'm talking on the wrong wrong ear. Huh? <laughs> yeah, talk talk on this side. Can you turn the other side up? It, yeah. Is his coffee fair trade? Not that I even know what that means. <laughs> yeah. It's, apparently, it's very important. A- absolutely. Oh, good. I mean, you know, I'll I'll trade him like you know whatever he wants to trade for it. It's good coffee. <laughs> I consider that a fair trade. Here's yeah. a pint. And I'll take some coffee. There you go. Fair trade. That's right fair. There. Yeah. All right. Let's take a short break. When we come back, uh, we're going to get into some of your questions uh, that you've submitted to Brewstrong at BrewingNetwork.com about uh, stouts. All right. Sounds good. More right after this. From the stovetop to a camp burner to some kind of brew stand, most homebrewers follow some version of this progression. With each move, a homebrewer will often have to change a lot, if not all, of their equipment. Until now, Blickman Engineering brings you the top-tier brewing stand, the only brewing stand that grows with you. For example, buy a top-tier floor-standing burner now, and it'll bolt right to your top-tier brewing stand when you're ready for all-grain brewing. The top-tier brewing stand is perfect for 5-gallon to 20-gallon batch sizes. Its modular design is adjustable and accommodates everything from small footprint coolers up to 30-gallon pots. How does the top-tier brewing stand do it? At its core is a strong, heat-treated, and anodized aluminum main post. On all four sides are built-in T-slots for the adjustable heavy-gauge stainless steel shelves and beefy burner tiers. The tiers accommodate any manufacturer's pots or coolers up to 21 inches in diameter. Best of all, not only does the top-tier brewing stand grow with your skills and equipment, but it easily knocks down for long-term storage or transport, too. The top-tier brewing stand from Blickman Engineering. Learn more at BlickmanEngineering.com and to find a local Blickman retailer and start brewing from the top tier. Are you a member of the American Homebrewers Association? Well, you should be. Members of the AHA can focus on brewing beer, and the AHA takes care of the rest. The American Homebrewers Association advocates on behalf of homebrewers like you to legalize the hobby in all 50 states and make sure that beer laws make sense. Plus, there are many great benefits that come with your AHA membership, like AHA member deals that give you awesome deals at bars, restaurants, breweries, and more. Zymergy Magazine and 
and Ezymergy for tons of articles, how-tos, easy-to-follow recipes, and news about the hobby you love, and access to the members-only content on homebrewersassociation.org. But the AHA can't do it without your support. Join today so the American Homebrewers Association can keep fighting for your homebrewing rights. Visit homebrewersassociation.org or join now from the homepage of the Brewing Network website. Relax. Don't worry. It's the American Homebrewers Association. Since the first time the Brewing Network microphones turned on, more beer was behind it. More Beer sponsors the programming on the BN because, like you, they love brewing. And like the Brewing Network, they love sharing their knowledge. MoreBeer.com isn't just a website to place your next equipment or ingredient order. MoreBeer.com also gives you access to free beer information that will make you a better brewer. Go to MoreBeer.com and click into the Learning Center. You'll find podcasts, technical facts, video tutorials, and more, including access to The Buzz, More Beer's social network of more than 5,000 members. And some of them might even be crazier about beer than you are. Get over to MoreBeer.com today and take advantage of The Buzz, The Forum, The Learning Center, and make sure you're signed up to receive the newest More Beer catalog. More Beer, bringing you absolutely everything for beer making. Back to the two guys that know how to turn beer into beer. This is Brew Strong. Dancing here in the studio. Oh, yeah. It's a rare, a rare Palmer drum solo there. <laughs> it's like Neil Pert in in the flesh. Uh, yeah, if you want to see Palmer in the flesh, you know what you can do. Hey, I would suggest going to the AHA conference in San Diego this June. You're going to be there. I'm yeah, going to be there. I'm going to be there. Yeah, I was going to say Facebook's not a really good option for that, but yeah, conference will be good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Or you come down here to the the Hop Grenade when we're doing shows. Palmer's here most of the time. Uh, yeah, you know? yeah. But, uh, yeah, you come down. Uh, if you're an AHA member, I mean, you have to be an AHA member. To, that's to right. The conference. That's one of the things that the AHA does. I mean, not only do they put on the most awesome conference you've ever been to, it's better than GABF, it's better than oh, Oktoberfest, yeah. it's better than anything. It is fantastic. If you're a home brewer, AHA conference. Yep. There's no better experience event in the world. Um, you know, having having a child, birth of your first child, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, all right. Yeah. So it's like second. So come to the next more. day, yeah, right. Um, uh, they you know look out for the rights of homebrewers. They uh, do the Zymergy magazine pub discount program. You, there's yeah. a members only session of GABF. Right. There's uh, uh, boy the the forums that they have are, yeah. are quite active. I mean, That's nice. Right. Nice all, nice all around, and good people, and uh, oh, if yeah. you sign up for the AHA through the Brewing Network, you go to brewingnetwork.com slash whatever, and then you, <laughs> <laughs> you click on that AHA Banner. thing, yeah, and you sign up, uh, a little slice of that uh, goes back to the Brewing Network and, and keeps uh, the shows alive, so, uh, you know, it's a win-win-win. For everyone. There you go. Oh, that's what I said. Three wins right yeah, well, there. Yeah. It's a win for everyone. Plus, you go to the conference, you see Palmer in the flesh. That's right. And Jamil too. And he can, he can touch you in the flesh there. I'll even sign it. I've done that. He'll sign your flesh. Yeah. Lovely. Have you? Have you signed some man cleavage? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not not my proudest moment. And, you know, I think in retrospect, probably his either. I think you. Right. Across you know, the crack. Always, John always, on one cheek, Palmer on yeah. the other. But uh, we, little, we chuckle little, about it every year. A little brown dot in between. Yeah, does your middle name start with an O? Because that'd be funny. <laughs> <laughs> no, it looks uh, like a hook. Yeah. <laughs> All right, should we uh, do some questions? <laughs> sure. So this is uh, Roasted Barley versus Roasted Malt from Sean, who says, Hi, guys. I've read conflicting information regarding the differences between Roasted Barley and Roasted Malt. Dr. Lewis's book, Stout, says that roasted barley is more accurate and burnt, while Beersmith and a few other sources claim that roasted malt is more accurate and roasted barley is the smoother of the two. I don't have a lot of money to do test batches these days, so I want to know what you thought before I craft my next recipe. First out. I've always... I think it's more important who the Monsters. producer of yeah. the grain 
I agree. Was how they roasted it, the source malt that was used or the source grain that was used. In general, I'm with Dr. Lewis on uh, the roasted malt being a little smoother than the roasted barley. But Mm -hmm. again, you can get roasted barley that's, you know, 600 love, 650. Mm -hmm. You can get it that's 400. Yeah. You can get chocolate malt that's 300. You can get chocolate malt that's 500. Right. Love a bond. So, uh, you know, there's such a wide range <laughs> that it's more important the, the supplier. And yeah. like we talked earlier about the coffee aspect, you can get some, some roasted malts that have that jalapeno kind of thing going on, that green pepper right. thing. So it's really more important that you you yeah. you know taste and choose the a variety of grains, not just say, well, it's you in know, general this right. or that. Yeah, it's roasted barley. Oh, okay, so it's it's this. Oh, it's you know yeah. black malt. It's it's that. You know. Yeah, I think it does vary from maltster to maltster, and uh, in the new malt book that came out just came out from um, Brewers Publications. Um. There's uh, some commentary in that where uh, Dave Kusky of Brees is is talking about roast malts and uh, how tricky it is. You know how you're on such a steep slope when you're roasting that you know it can be a matter of seconds between mm-hmm. uh, your product yeah. and something that's just gone up in flames. Um, you know, very and he's, and he's well. In fact, I think the specific quote was this. Um, you're increasing your melanoidin and your in your um, color, and he said if you hold it too long, that will like over roast and you'll lose all that color mm. um, too. <laughs> so, what I'm kind of getting at is that roast malts is a very uh, very much an art mm-hmm. at each maltster, and they have their recipe and procedure, and so um, depending on you know their product. Uh, one one their black malt may be a little less uh, um, acrid than their roast barley or vice versa, mm-hmm. depending on how they pr- process them. When I was in Australia one time, I went by uh, uh, grain and grape, uh, yeah, you know, uh, with uh, John's John, place, John's yeah, Preston. Pre- Preston's place, and a wonderful place, I mean, and a wide range of, uh, of products there. And somebody gave me, uh, it was, he goes, ah, this is the clone, the can you brew it recipe for like Shakespeare stout. And it was like a pale brown water with like no flavor. And he's <laughs> like, you know, I followed the recipe exactly. What's wrong with it? And uh, I'm like, yeah, you couldn't have followed the recipe. I'm trying to think of all the, the possible things. I'm like, you know, what did you use? And John's like, well, you know, he used this. There's a Australian maltster, and it's like, this is what they call chocolate malt. And what it was was all this pale malt with a few nuggets of, like, this really charcoal-y looking <laughs> malts Black, in yeah. it. And I'm sure if you crushed the whole thing up and took a love bond reading, you know, maybe it, it was correct, but... Mm-hmm. There's no way that's chocolate malt. And, and Shakespeare Stout's like 15% chocolate malt. It's just right. a really high amount of chocolate malt. And that's where you get its, all its color and flavor from. And so, you know, if you're using crap malt, uh, crap specialty malt, you're going to make crap beer. Yeah. You yeah. know, not craft beer, crap beer. <laughs> well, you know, if you use, the, if you, used, you know, a different, a different producer's interpretation of a particular malt style, such mm-hmm. as, you know, Dark chocolate or pale chocolate or right. what have you, you know, they can, it can vary vary quite a bit, and you won't have the signature flavor that you're looking for, or that someone else that originated the recipe mm-hmm. may have had. Well, in general, stick with you know malts from the country of where you know the the recipe is. Like if you're making an American stout, use American malts. Uh, malts. If you're using you know Brit, you're making a British you know pale ale or British brown ale, use British malts. If you're making German beer, Belgian beer, use Belgian malts. Pretty simple. Pretty yep. simple general rule that, that tends to, to work out well. Well, given that the maltster is paramount, are you going to – how reliable is the consistency? Like if you find, all right, this is the maltster that the, this, the right malt is coming from, can you rely mm-hmm. on it to be consistent batch to batch? Some of them you can. Some of them are more reliable than others, put it that mm-hmm. way. So, okay. Just like people. Yeah. 
And mm-hmm. but barley variety and, and crop year also has an impact right. on uh, malt quality. But the better ones can better control that, right? And help you a lot. All right, here's one. This is probably my favorite name of anyone that's wrote in so far from Pepe Yanez. And he, the subject line is to say hi and information. And he says, hello, this is Pepe from Mexico. I've been following your podcast since a while. And recently I was listening again to the water series. When I search on Google about best water profile for a Russian Imperial Stout, a link to the Brewing Network forum appears. When I was reading it, called it called for a JP's water spreadsheet. My question is, where can I download this from? Thank you very much. And by the way, I always buy stuff at northernbrewer.com. Cheers. This man's a doctor. Dr. Jose Arturo Yanez Espinoza. Ginecologica y obstracción biologica de la reproducción humana. Is he a gynecologist? Yeah, it sounds like uh, wow. ob- obstructions of uh, the human reproductive system. Is, yeah. that, is that my, my Spanish uh, <laughs> dialing in right there? Or, uh, si. or he's an obstetrician. N- no say. <laughs> all right. Well, he sounds like a true medical doctor. Yeah. Yeah. Real not doctor. All these, not all these these fakery puffery yeah, PhD doctors. PhD yes. and all that. Right. Crap, all that yeah. crap. Yeah. Yeah. Come on, please. Uh, so, John, what do you what do you say on on water for Russian? First off, where does he download your fine John um, Palmer? Not JP, but John Palmer's. Right. Uh, uh, you can you can download uh, download it from howtobrew dot com. The Chapter fifteen dash three dot dot html page, um, I believe that's the one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can also download uh, it from the Lamotte Company, l a m o t t e dot com. Um, they they're the marketers of the of the nice brew lab, which allows you to test your water at home uh, for your minerals. Mm-hmm. And um, they have a link. To, they have a, a link to the spreadsheet of, on their site as well mm-hmm. uh, on the Brew Lab page. So those are two locations to get it. Mm-hmm. Um, there you go. All yeah. right. So what about water for uh, Russian pure stout? Just in general, what are you shooting for? High alkalinity. In general, you're shooting for high alkalinity or higher alkalinity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, again, the the dark malts, uh, the specialty malts. Uh, have higher acidity than base malts. Um, Russian Imperial Stout having um, can have, depending on how you brew it and your recipe, have quite a lot of specialty malt in it, uh, which can drive down your mash pH. Um, the higher alkalinity water tends to balance that a bit, getting you back into that 5.2 to 5.6 zone um, for good mash performance and generally good beer flavor. Um so that's that's your first consideration is what you know how what the pH balance of your mash mm-hmm, is. Mm-hmm. Then you can start looking at, um, you know, do I want this to be a malty or a hoppy Russian Imperial Stout? Would mm-hmm. probably malty. Mm-hmm. So you're looking more to your calcium, your chlorides mm-hmm. uh, additions, and for a Russian Imperial Stout, I'd be saying look towards uh, some calcium, uh, fifty to hundred ppm. Chlorides, um, fifty to one hundred, maybe up to one hundred and fifty max in chlorides, and not so much sulfur because you don't want the, the the hop notes to dominate the beer. But again, these are kind of general recommendations. Mm-hmm. You need to brew the beer, taste the beer, and then maybe experiment with some mineral additions from there. But uh, don't yeah. go overboard trying to say, I need to make mm-hmm. this perfect water profile to brew the stout. No. Mm-hmm. Brew the stout first. Then... Give it a try. Yeah. And see how it turns out with your water. Right. Tweak yeah, it well, there. The thing, that, the thing that kills me about people that really focus on a lot on water mm-hmm. is, uh, n- not you, but, I mean, you know, uh, homebrewers in general, what they want is... You know, a calculation of how much to throw in there. Yeah. And what they don't do, they're focused on that, focused on that, focused on it. And I ask, well, what's the pH? And they don't know. Yeah, right. I'm like, so you're adjusting your water. You don't know what the pH is. It's more important to get the right pH than yeah, it is, it is. To add minerals to your water. So, you know, first test your pH and then see where you need to go from there. Because on something like this, my tendency is just throwing some chalk. 
You know, you're just trying right. to knock down a bit of the acidity, right. and you know, there you go, and you're off. You're off to the races, and mm-hmm. and and a lot of times with a lot of water, uh, a stout works out well. Yeah, just as is without any water adjustments because most brew water most you know tends to be alkaline yeah and you tend to you know just hit the right ph uh making a stout that's why people do a lot of stouts right and it's the pale beers that suffer and you need to make some some adjustments but you know if you're not checking your ph then you know uh, why are you going beyond that (laughs) you know you're it's like you're uh you know, you're you're trying to learn brain surgery without the instructions on cracking open the skull first. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. Don't don't go adding uh, tons of salt to your to your water uh, unless you in, until you've brewed it enough to know what the impact of that addition is going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and check your pH. All right, one more. Yeah, let's do one more. A quick uh, one. All right, quick one. Here's Mike Adair. Uh, he says, uh, what are your guys' thoughts on cold steeping dark grains? He says he's planning to make a milk stout. He's read online about cold steeping dark grains. The recipe calls for uh, chocolate malt and roasted barley. Uh, I have read that doubling the dark grains, cold steeping for 24 hours, and adding uh, with 10 to 15 minutes left in the boil will provide less accurate and smoother beer. I think uh, this would be desirable for a milk stout. Thanks. Love the show. Yeah, we just did a show on that, yeah, yeah. and John did some experimentation. And what was the, the net result? Well, uh, the the bottom line, I think, is that cold steeping is a different character than hot steeping. And so uh, in the experience I did, I did cold steeping for 4 hours, 12 hours, 24 hours. I did hot steeping for 15, 30 in an hour. Um, hot being 150 degrees. The next day, after actually after we did the last show, I came up with an idea to take those same malt sample packets and throw them in my Mr. Coffee coffee maker and run. Run like, them cold. Uh, no, hot. I just and run them hot. You know, well, was, you're running it like like boiling. It was 185. Yes, yeah, too hot. Well, it was an experiment. Again, you know, mash temperature. I'm talking mash temperature. Right. And I'll tell you, the people that are going off on this, you know, cold. Oh, it's cold. And then you're extracting less from the grains. Yes. That's why it tastes different. Yes. If you put in less in your, in your mash tun at 150, it'd be fine. You're boiling the grains. No good. And then they're like, well, you know, it's, it's, it's if you take that same cold steep. Mm-hmm. And you boil it mm-hmm. afterwards, right? Yeah. And then taste it. Taste the different. same. Yeah. Taste the same as put in the mash. Oh, I'm it, telling you, there's there are some subtle differences, but yes, in general, you're I, right. I think I think uh, it, you know most of the differences because during during your experiment, did you boil the cold steep? No, I didn't. See? Yeah. You can't just add your cold steep to the beer. Right. That's not the same as cold steeping yeah. and putting it in the in the kettle. Right, that's different. W- one one difference between cold steeping and hot steeping. I again, told you I'd tell John why he was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I got more. I got more aroma out style. of the cold steep than right, I did right. the, then, and a drier aroma out of the cold steep than I did the hot. So the the two you didn't boil it, but I didn't boil it then to see how that changed. Right. right. Um, so that that could be. Right. I, I don't. But you know the way they tasted, they smelled and mm-hmm. tasted. I don't think I would get the same character. From boiling the cold as I did yeah, tasting hot. I think I think you gotta you gotta go you know more more controlled experiment with more uh, you know apples to apples kind yeah. of comparison with the only uh, thing being on, that. I'm still working right, on it, right. but bottom line to this point is it's a different character. Yeah, I don't think you can say that. You can say it's a different character if you cold steep it and then pour it into your finished beer. Yeah. But you can't say it's a different character if you than, don't boil it. Okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. Right. And you're talking 185. That was What's that was mass another temperature. Now, the, let me let me tell you about that experiment real quick, <laughs> just to digress, because it's interesting. Got, this was going to be a quick one. All right. Well, it's, it's not quick. now. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I did an experiment with uh, the my coffee maker, Mr. Coffee basket type filter. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, Are I they just, a sponsor? I think you should use an automated coffee machine. Okay. Unless they're a sponsor. It was an app on my iPhone. And there we go. Um, <laughs> I did 320 milliliters um, per sparge. So uh-huh. I, I put 320 milliliters of water in there and put the, put the little envelope of grain mm-hmm. in the basket, mm-hmm. ran that water through, um, collected the, a 
that glass of, of wort, mm-hmm. put and then left the, the the sample in there, put in another 320 milliliters, ran that one through, collect mm-hmm. that, set it aside. Mm-hmm. The car- I did two caramel malts, a 40 and a 120, mm-hmm. and then I did a chocolate malt. Mm-hmm. The caramel malts got progressively lighter on mm-hmm. each sparge. Mm-hmm. The chocolate malt got darker with each sparge. Mm-hmm. The gravity of the caramel malts decreased with each sparge. It started out at 0.4 bricks mm-hmm. or Play-Doh mm-hmm. and worked down to like 0.1. Mm-hmm. The chocolate malt started out at zero, mm-hmm. went up to 0.1, and then finished at 0.2. Mm-hmm. An increase in gravity with sparging, mm-hmm. an increase with color. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm drawing from that, and I repeated that experiment twice to verify, mm-hmm. and the terms of the pH and so on, the melanoidins that make up the soluble extract in a roasted malt mm-hmm. have less solubility and are harder to extract from the grain than the sugars in the caramel malts. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's why I was seeing that reverse uh, right. process. Which is why of- cold steeping just does not extract nearly as much. much. Right. That's a very good point. Yes. Right. That's, that's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. You, if, you, if you're worried about you know, too much, the, the people are using the same amount in cold steeping and steeping in the mash. Yeah. And they're like, oh, it's a totally different flavor. Well, yeah, because you didn't extract like 90% of what's in there. Good point. Yeah. That's the difference. If you, if you adjust the amounts, it tastes the same. Yeah. Uh, you and know, it's, this is internet, internet rumor, internet yeah. lore. Yeah, I'm telling and you. So I went uh, and I, I did the squeezing thing too with afterward. Uh, I don't where it we, tasted the. You're squeezing. not supposed to reveal that sort of thing. Okay, that's for a different show. But uh, a lot of retained extract in the sample packet that did not get into you know the wort mm-hmm. or it was not extracted. Um, you much were squeezing your bag. Yeah, a um, lot big difference in gravity. Uh, also, so again, it it it's right in line. But as you say. There's a, you know, a lot less extraction at cold temperatures than hot mm-hmm. temperatures in mm-hmm. the roasted malts. I don't think the extraction is different. I think the the amount is different. Yeah. And then I think you boil both, and I think all difference, you know, if the amount's the same. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll do that experiment, too. <laughs> all right. We'll, we'll, we'll hear back. Uh, but uh, let's first uh, take a short break, and we'll be back with more of your questions right after this. Have you ever dreamed of attending the World Brewing Academy? This year, thanks to Lalamond and Anstar, one lucky brewer will make that dream a reality for free. Lalamond and Danstar invite you to enter the Beer School 2015 contest. One lucky grand prize winner will receive fully paid tuition to the 2015 World Brewing Academy web-based concise course in brewing technology worth almost $4,000. From now until December 13, 2014, every Danstar yeast packet you use is your ticket to enter. Visit danstaryeast.com for the details and to print your official entry form. There's no limit on the number of times you can enter, so get brewing with Danstar and get your entries in to the Danstar 2015 Beer School Contest. Whether you want to build your home brewing skills or build a career as a professional brewer, this course will change the way you think of beer and brewing. Enter at danstaryeast.com and get the dry yeast advantage with Danstar and Lalamond Premium Brewing Yeast and Enter to win. Nico, listen, our lawyers said that we had to do this for one hour, and after this, we don't have to talk to each other for three more months until the next meeting. Come on, let's get out of here. I'm supposed to have more lines. I'm the professional. Hey, it's Sully. And I'm Nico. And we opened the 21st Amendment 10 years ago at 563 2nd Street in San Francisco, just two blocks from Giants Park, to make great beer and have a great time doing it. That's right, because to us, the 21st Amendment is more than just the right to make beer. It's the right to experiment, to be innovative, and just do things differently. And so now, we're putting our craft beer in cans. That's right, cans. You can find our world-famous Hell or High Watermelon Wheat Beer at Brew Free or Die IPA in the Northeast, Northwest, parts of the Midwest, and Alaska in cans and on draft. So next time you're at your local neighborhood pub or good beer store, be sure to ask for 21st Amendment in cans. Because everyone likes it in a can. Tasty Crack Cans. Tasty Crack Cans. A few things happened 30 years ago. 
Surfinet migrated to TCPIP, and the Internet was born. Revenge of the Jedi was renamed Return of the Jedi and opened in theaters. Mila Kunis and Emily Blunt were born, beginning a rad fantasy in my mind. But all of that pales next to the fact that HopTech opened its doors and began blowing homebrewers right out of their mash tuns. HopTech doesn't fuck around. Real people shipping awesome shit straight to you. Their new website is fast and easy to navigate. Or just call 800-379-4677 and let badass bitch Jade and the gadget guy Roberto blow their warm load of customer service all over you. So visit the site or visit Visit the store in Dublin, California, and support those that support you. Get your brewing on at HopTech.com. Hey, my brewing brothers and sisters. This is Jamel Zanishef, and I want to tell you about Heretic Evil Twin. You might be familiar with my homebrew recipe, which uses massive late hopping to create a balance between the malty sweet and the hoppy bitter, along with an outrageous malt and hop character. I wanted a beer with the same bold hop and malt character, so we played around with the homebrew recipe until we were able to make a great commercial version, too. We've created a beer rich in malt character, full of caramel, toast, biscuit, and an ever-so-subtle roast note. On top of that, we piled in an insane amount of citra and Columbus hops at the end of the boil, as well as in dry hopping. This damn-the-cost approach to hopping gives Heretic's Evil Twin a great blast of citrus and tropical fruit that can't be matched by any other hop. The result is a bold, malty, hoppy, but easy-drinking beer. This is our top seller, our flagship beer, and I couldn't be prouder of it. Cheers. To find Heretic Beers near you, click on Find Some at hereticbrewing.com. Like the Lance Armstrong of the beer world. Except for that nut thing. This is Bruce Strong. You know, I consider Jay from Ray Barrel like the Lance Armstrong of the, the sour beer. Except for that nut thing. Right. I'm just saying. Well, actually, no. I think Jay has one nut. So oh, he's yeah, just probably. the Lance Armstrong of sour beer. There you go. Yeah. He, uh, with the nut thing. <clears throat> that's that's what makes him the Lance Armstrong. And I think he does anabolic steroids. <laughs> Guy's getting pretty big. Have you seen him lately? He He's probably topping 100 pounds now. Oh, so easily. Yeah. He's, he's beefing <laughs> up. He's probably really grown. Oh, yeah. Growing in. I mean, you should see him stir that, uh, you know, stir <laughs> that mash or whatever the hell he does. It's with, with vigor. I don't With know. Is bigger. he even stirring meth? Probably just, not. Can we just stop? <laughs> I'm trying to improv <laughs> here, Bio. Please. Do we have a question? We do. Uh, well, no. You can hear Jay on the Sour Hour. Oh, uh, Jay's just doing a live read. Oh. There you go. Okay. Yeah, yeah, check out Jay on the Sour Hour. and uh, He does it here on the Brew Network. Great show. Uh, along with you know things like Bruce Strong and uh, Dr. Homebrew and The Session and yada yada. Kenny Good Brew. stuff. So uh, ch- check him out. All right. Question... Question. This is from Lawyer Jin. Lawyer Jin. Lawyer Jin. I have read that Old Rasputin is released three weeks after brewing. How can I make an Imperial Stout that is ready to drink in three weeks? (laughs) I heard two. Really? (laughs) Yes. Really? That's mind blowing. Um, Good fermentation. That's the key. mm -hmm. And um, yeah, good attenuation. uh, You know, good recipe. Mm-hmm. There you go, ready, ready to drink. Does it change over time? And you know, some some like it with a little age on it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, a lot of beers could be like that. Um, fermentation, fermentation, yeah. fermentation. Yeah, I, I guess I'm I'm kind of thinking this question maybe go. Back. Are they cold steeping? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. But I think this question kind of goes back to the myth of stronger beers need to be aged right. before they're in prime condition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. And I think it's that is probably partly due to the old to homebrewing methods at the time, 10, 20, 30 years right, ago. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Where you would get some fusels that would need to esterify mm-hmm. with time, some, you know, some oxidation occurring before that beer would mellow out a bit. But, and, um, you know, petering fermentation. Yeah. Where fermentation wasn't so good. And so. You had to wait like an extra couple of months for it to to drag down the gravity to a drinkable point. Right, right. But uh, so you know, um, old Rasputin. I mean, that is that's a great beer, very well brewed, uh, great recipe, and it's. I'm not surprised that it's ready to drink two weeks after you know production. 
because you know it's it's a matter of getting the attenuation, getting a very strong fermentation that's not leaving behind byproducts that that take time to go away. Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's done right the first time. There you go. All right, so here's back to the email. This is uh, Ken Robinson from Greenwood Lake, New York. He said, uh, I wanted to follow up my question after li- uh, listening to the-, the original question was, uh, do mash temperatures influence the acridness of a porter's stout the same way that high brewing temperatures influence tea and coffee? Uh, how are tannins and other flavors tainting molecules uh, affected by mash temperature? If there's a significant effect, does step mashing have benefits beyond increasing brew yield. So his follow-up is, how much is diastatic power necessary when making a dark beer? I know that the roasted grains uh, and uh, large, oh, I'm sorry, by and large, lack any diastatic power. If one was to cold brew, how much fermentable sugar would carry over uh, to the wort? Well, there's no, there's not sugars per se in your roasted malts. Those, they are... Cold extractable, like other specialty grains, but it, they're melanoidins. There are the the sugars have you know chemically bonded to proteins, and they are now soluble melanoidins and soluble flavor compounds, and maybe and higher order sugars, non fermentable sugars. Generally, there's not much fermentable sugar coming out there's, of roasted grain. There's, but in some cases, there's a tiny bit because, I mean, there must be. Mm-hmm. I, I'm with you. I always thought, well, there's nothing fermentable in there. Yeah, or not much anyway. Or not much. And, you know, same thing with, like, crystal malts. But crystal yeah. malts, there's, there's sugars that are fermentable. And apparently in the roasted malts, too, um, the way that they make Sinmar uh, uh-huh. is they mash, like, all this roasted grain. And then they ferment it because you can't add – if it was – if it's, like, beer, mm-hmm. you can add it to – be Reinheit Reinheit uh compliant, and so they would extract it that way, and they would ferment it, and they'd get like a quarter of a percent alcohol, uh-huh. you know, just a, the tiniest little bit, yeah, yeah. and then uh, they go ahead and just like heat it up, drive that off, and then it's Spray still it. still beer. Well, mm-hmm. then it, yeah, maybe they concentrate it that way. I don't know, and then it's a like a thick syrup that you you can add. So they they get some sort of fermentable sugar in there. Okay. Yep. So I thought that that was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, who knows? Uh, and then um, you know it's it, it's interesting what what is extracted and what isn't. And you know they also the difference between roasted barley's and roasted malts. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> there was a thing about. Uh, uh, snottiness from using um, uh, some roasted barleys that have not been malted. Hmm. That you can get the snottiness, uh, elephant snot out of uh, out of. Uh, I'm not sure what you mean. Highly kiln black malts. Um, apparently, it was a thing. You know, back in the day, some from improperly protein roasted. Yeah, yeah, apparently so. Just became I, like goopy and yeah, yeah. Ew. yeah. Or more like scum floating on the surface? Or no, 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 or? no. Uh, viscous. Uh, really? Viscous residue huh. is what they said. I like how they specified the animal it came from. Elephant snot? <laughs> right. right. As opposed to like rhino snot? Oh, well, that's completely different. I mean, I'm yeah. just saying. Um, so there's a lot of interesting things going on in, in roasted malts. I think, you know, different mash temperatures. I really don't think you're going to notice a difference in, in the roasted malts. Now. Yeah, between... You know, let's say 145 to 165. I, don't, I right. doubt you get much difference there. Right. It'd be, uh, it's more of a function of pH in the mash. Yeah. They could do the, the astringency. And, uh, and final pH as well. Yeah. You know, yeah. The beer makes During it During lauderings. Right. Yeah. And so I think, uh, you know, there you go. Um, but, yeah, so some slight tiny bit. So you don't really need diastatic power for that. You, no. you have plenty of diastatic power anyways, right. probably. Right. Um, you know, unless you're making an all roasted malt, you know, beer and caramel <laughs> malt, then, then you're in. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you're using any amount of pale malt of any kind, you're probably fine. Yeah. Uh, generally, um, pale- even if you weren't, the, I mean, the amount of dextrins that aren't fermented at that point, it's so small. Right. But, you know, an, um, Base malts supply almost three times as much diastatic power 
you know, is necessary by weight to convert that mash. So, well, especially modern malts, right? Yeah, exactly. Much higher diastatic power today than yeah. in the past. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, not really a concern there. Here's a, a kind of a long question. I'll try and get through it quickly from Justin Baldwin, who says, thanks for the great information, guys. I have some questions about yeast pitching rates and starter volumes for really big beers. So it says, I want to make a, ru- uh, a, a large Russian Imperial Stout with an OG of uh, 1.112, mostly using the recipe from Brewing Classic Styles. Using the uh, Mr. Malty pitching rate calculator, I would need a simple starter of 2.46 gallons. Uh, even using oxygen, it would be right under 2 gallons of a uh, 5.1-gallon beer. Wow, it's a precise man. Uh, how can this be done practically? Even using another vial of yeast, the starter would still need to be over a gallon. Well, uh, you know, the way it's done practically is to brew a smaller beer first. So you make a five-gallon starter, but it happens to be a beer. So you take you find another beer style you want to brew using that same yeast. Let's say you want to use 001. Okay, make yourself a... Uh, American wheat, uh, pale ale. Yeah. I mean, you could even make yourself a you know an IPA, yeah. or you know some other uh, you know porter or something like that. Right. And you take that yeast. It depends how picky you are about your yeast picking up uh, residual from the from the beer it's in. You know, dark right. beer to light beer, hoppy beer to non hoppy beer. Um, uh, but you know, the thing that makes me think less of that was uh, talking to Mitch at Stone. Oh, yeah. He was saying yeah. that now they harvest all their yeast off their IPA. Yeah. And they get right. better results. And um, I think, you know, in commercial setting, you've got so much yeast to pull from. It's pretty thick. There's not a whole lot of other liquid in there. You know, that may be part of it. Homebrew, you may capture more of the liquid. But you can rinse it real easy. You know, put right. in a sterile container, some sterile water, shake it up pour off the liquid you know you've got fairly clean yeast at that point right but uh yeah brew a smaller beer first that's the way to go he he did uh have a couple of ideas in here so tell me what you guys think of him he said here's idea number one i make a starter as normal and pitch it into an oatmeal stout using white labs english ale yeast or london ale two days later during high croissant uh, i brew the russian imperial but i extend the boil time or thicken the mash to the point uh, i only end up with four gallons of work then I transfer one and a half gallons of the oatmeal stout to the Russian. Does that make sense to you? Oh yeah, you certainly could. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's that's one way to, one way of tackling it. And I, you know, if the oatmeal stout is actively fermenting, right? Uh, that's you know, man, that's a pretty good, pretty decent idea. Um, not bad. Not said, the way I'd do it, but yeah. Well, so during High Croizen, he asks, does it matter where in the carboy I take the sample from, or should I move my siphon tube around? To get a cross section of yeast, not necessarily cross section, but most of your yeast is going to be at the top. top. It's rising to the top mm-hmm. um, as it flocculates and rises. Yeah, on the if you got a decent croissant on that on that oatmeal stout, then I would you know skim that right. croissant and and pitch that. Right. Well, yeah, yeah. If you just you can vacuum off all the yeast off the top. Um, if you take all that yeast off the top, you know you. Can, you yeah. can impact the fermentation of that too. <laughs> um, he was talking about just taking some of the beer. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd draw it all off, you know, kind of near the surface, and and try and vacuum up all the the, the bubbly stuff on top. He has a, another idea. He says, uh, mm-hmm. "I I'm, I make the oatmeal stout, uh, but I make an additional starter with uh, WLP uh, 090 San Diego yeast. I transfer only a half gallon of oatmeal stout to get the English ale profiles." Uh, I want, but then I add the 2,000 milliliter San Diego to get the attenuation I want. Are there issues, he asks, with using more than one yeast at a time? No. I mean, there are if you want to, like, repitch it later on, but um, I would, you know, start with, you know, your standard, you know, whatever yeast you want for flavor and character, and then add in your... Attenuation your, your attenuation yeast. yeast, and try and pick one that's you know fairly clean that doesn't add a lot of other characters. But yeah, that that probably work too. I'd be careful about. Oh, I'm going to cut back on my my yeast. You know, you need enough yeast to make that thing attenuate all the way. Should he stagger the additions? I wouldn't. Um, just because. Well, I mean, you could you could do it a little bit. You could let the first yeast grow a little bit, but. 
I'd add the second one within, you know, 12 hours. Um, because if you add yeast after, you know, there's a considerable amount of alcohol already present and the sugars are reduced and there's a yeast population there, the other yeast isn't going to grow. It's not going to get active. You really got to, you know, kind of get it in there early so they all get going. Yeah, makes sense. All right, let's take a short break, and when we come back, we'll have more of your questions right after this. Williams Brewing is your online resource for prompt delivery of quality home brewing supplies. Since 1979, Williams Brewing has offered the finest equipment and the freshest ingredients, backed by the best customer service in the business. Do you like to mash using efficient fly sparging, but would like an easy way to heat your strike and sparge water? Enter the new Brewer's Edge Electric Mash Water Heater, a plug-in, anywhere, precisely controlled heater for strike and sparge water. Ditch the fumes and second burner and make mashing easy. Go to williamsbrewing.com today and browse their vast selection. That's williamsbrewing.com. Orders placed by 4 p.m. Pacific Time weekdays ship the same day. Brewing is easy the Williams way. Do you support the Brewing Network? Do you brew your own? Are you looking for any economical, fun, and legal way to do both? Subscribe to Brew Your Own magazine and do just that. All year long, Brew Your Own will surprise you, entertain you, and educate you with articles on beer and brewing from authors like the Brewing Network's very own Jamel Zalashev and John Palmer. Each issue is a full pint of brewing techniques, homebrew stories, tips and photos, projects to make yourself, and recipes for the avid home brewer. Get your tough questions answered by Mr. Wizard and polish your style accuracy with DeVille. A portion of every subscription goes to the Brewing Network, so subscribe today at byo.com slash brewingnetwork or just click the BYO logo on the Brewing Network homepage and support a fantastic hobby and your favorite broadcaster. Brew your own, the how-to homebrew beer magazine. Now, Northern Brewer presents What If Homebrewers Ruled the World. Ladies and gentlemen, if you'll follow me, I will lead you into the gallery area. Now, the first piece up for sale today is a Jamil Zena Chef original, a bottle of 1997 vintage Evil Twin. Oh, I see. A bidding for this one-of-a-kind piece will start at £7,000. And if you'll continue to follow me, ladies and gentlemen, I can show you a rather abstract piece from Bay Area brewer Justin Crossley. It's a German doppelbach entitled Justin's Giant Bach. The brewer's notes here indicate that this beer had excellent mouthfeel. That's just a crazy dream, or is it? With Northern Brewer, a thirsty nation can craft its own ale and water for the greater good of mankind. Northern Brewer, the home of superior customer service and the finest selection of home-brewing goods for the future. Hi, I'm Jason Harris, the proud owner here at Keystone Homebrew Supply. We're thrilled to be entering our 20th year of supplying this great industry. And to show you, the Brewing Network Army, how much we appreciate your support, we're offering you 10% off your first order on our website, keystonehomebrew.com. Just use coupon code BNARMY at checkout, and I'll get your order out the same day. My goal at Keystone Homebrew Supply has always been to have a complete supply of everything a brewer could want. When you place your order online or when you come into our store, it's our goal to have everything on your list and more. One aspect of KeystoneHomebrew.com that we're really excited about is the ability to fulfill customers' exact grain bills. Do you hate to wait? Keystone Homebrew Supply can get your precious yeast and hops to you within just one day if you live between Connecticut and Virginia and within two days east of the Mississippi. KeystoneHomebrew.com I'm Jason Harris and I approve this message. Back to your hosts, Jamil Zanashef and John Palmer. Putting the testicles in technical. This is Brew Strong. What surprises me is I've got everybody drinking watery gray. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's good. I, I'm going to go with a little less water next time. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like you a, can adjust it up and down. Yeah. yeah. Uh, maybe like a quarter of a glass would be perfect. Right. It's really right. good, though. Right. It depends what you what, what you like, and you can adjust it for your for your tastes and for your mood and how much alcohol you want. You can go straight, all gray. Mm-hmm. You can go, you know, I, I 50% water is about the max that I would do. Yeah. I like it a little bit less than that, maybe 40%. You know, get get yourself in the, uh, you know, closer to the 4% range, and then it's it's great. It's more like a like a brown ale mm-hmm. uh, yeah, than it, it is a mild. It's a great weekday beer. You know, come Saturday night, I'm going straight grave. Right. But, right. you know, it's, <laughs> it's 1, 12 p.m. Right. on a Friday. Well, I'll tell you, here at the Hop Grenade, they'll make that for you. You say watery grape, they're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> It's it's like going to In and Out and asking for you know four by four animal style you know you know all the the, the, the code words yes. here it's a watery grave also ask for your half cousin I'm just saying <laughs> we have a secret menu here it, it's all heretic but it is a secret right, menu right it's all heretic approved all right I'm going to try and get through this is a very long question from Scott Quackenbush in if you make your questions shorter it's easier to read them what's any what state is any? Nebraska. Nebraska. He's in Papillon, Nebraska. Papillon. He said Lots that... Lots of he, butterflies in Papillon. Must be. He said that they he uh, brewed uh, an oatmeal stout, which was uh, good, but it didn't really come out all that well. He said the finished beer is rather watery and insipid. No head retention. Um, he said he's wondering if there's any issues he needs to look for when brewing it again. He mastered the indicated temperature, managed to keep it pretty stable for 90 minutes, he pitched a starter of Y East London ESB that was only two days old when he bought it. He said the fermentation went nuts and seemed to finish within two days. He said he was afraid he had a stuck fermentation. He pulled a sample and tasted it, um, but it tasted good, so he didn't worry about it. He left it in the fermenter for another two weeks uh, before kegging and carbonating. It just it goes on and on, but what do you think? Do you need more information, or what do you think uh, would lead to watery? I'm, I'm assuming uh, you know some wild yeast or some sort of contamination. Yeah, uh, would be my first guess. Um, you know, when it was done after you know a couple of days and it tasted good and it was done and it's there was no activity, I wait maybe another couple days after no signs of activity or you know very tiny signs of activity. I'll I'll go another day or two, but I don't go two weeks. Two weeks is my just general guideline for people prevent people from bottling too soon yeah yeah absolutely and you know but with certain yeasts in lower gravity beers you know in the Mm -hmm. you know upper 60s low 70s those things will finish out pretty quick does he say Um, what his gravity if he pitched enough yeast uh he doesn't give numbers but he did say that before kegging the final gravity was several points higher than the estimate in the book but he said it didn't taste cloyingly sweet and the fermentation Mm -hmm. seemed like it was clean so he didn't worry about it but he did say going into the keg the beer tasted really good he was proud of it but then after carbonation, he pulled a pint and he wondered what the hell happened. You know, it may be that he overcarbonated it. Yeah, he, he does say that. He said, he said, I don't think I overcarbonated. He said he let a pint sit out and he tasted it as he warmed up and some of the CO2 dissipated. He says it improves a little bit, but it, it still isn't what he would have yeah, expected. Yeah, it's, it's, it's too much carbonation is what it sounds like to me. I, I've, I've had beers. And the great thing about a kegging system is you, know, you put it on, on gas and then you you know let it carbonate up. You can pull samples as you go. And then when you hit the right amount, you back off. Yeah. And, it, and it's great. If you go past that, you can take a beer from, from uh, just okay to, oh, my God, this is great. And then very quickly after, it's like, ugh, you know, what happened to it? Mm-hmm. Seems thinner. You know, the, too much carbonation. Uh, can can make a beer seem thin. It can make them seem thick and creamy too, but that's kind of a special thing. Um, but it can make it make it seem a little too thin and and harsh. All right, so let's, that's a possibility. Let's All do right. let's do one more from uh, Kenneth, who says I'm fairly new to brewing. I've made about eight extract batches, uh, two porters and a stout of those. All three had a very thin mouthfeel. Two of the recipes were Northern Brewers Bourbon Barrel Porter. Uh, and the uh, St. Paul Porter, the stat was from a local homebrew shop. It was all with steeping grains. He said, how can I get that nice thick mouthfeel you find in a Founders Porter or stout? Is this something I can get only brewing with all grain? No. I, you know, Again, I wonder what his OGs are. Um, but uh, he should be able to get a good mouthfeel from an extract kit. That shouldn't be an issue. Um, you can improve mouthfeel with dextrins with uh 
other adjuncts. Uh, you can dextrin powder. Yeah. Uh, uh, lactose. Right. Uh, milk sugar. Uh, you know, oats, flaked mm-hmm. oats um, are a good addition. The all that'll add, you know, some residual dextrins and some some uh, you know uh, protein and mouth protein field. and things like that. Um, but you know, I'm always suspicious when you know beer goes thin. You know, almost always I think you know wild yeast or bacteria right. is, yeah. is the cause. Yeah, you can definitely get uh, a wild yeast infection uh, that will just thin out the body of a beer really quick, just because mm-hmm. it just eats everything. Yeah. And you're left with almost no mouthfeel. It's almost like, you know, like club soda. Right. So that, that's, you know, and a lot of times, you know, I hate I hate telling somebody that without, you know, tasting the beer. But, uh, you know, it, it can be hidden in some some bigger beers. You know, you're like, oh, that's just kind of, you know, the malt character or the hops. Yeah. And it's like, no, it's not. You know, it can be tough to pick out your first few times. So that's something you got to you gotta check. And, uh, you know, that's always, always something to, to worry about. Yep. All right. Another fine show. It is awesome having you here, my, my it's friend. It's very good to be here. And uh, it gives me a chance to uh, give you give you crap <laughs> as we do the <laughs> show. Does. Uh, we absolutely demonstrated, yes. Right. Did I show you where I tried to slip my wrist? Yeah, I was noticing that. I figured it was a cat. <laughs> you did it the wrong way, you dumbass. It's not supposed to be perpendicular. Well, and what I discovered was once you cut one wrist, your hand hurts too much to cut the other one. So I only did one. I'm just saying. <laughs> uh, hey, the life of a brewery owner. Every once in a while, you see the numbers. You're like, oh, my God, I'm going to cut my wrist. And then your lack of dedication, you're like, eh, screw it. Yeah. You can't even commit suicide. I wouldn't be able to drink beer. You know, all right, all right. I'll just go from there. I'll tell you, if you enjoy this show, make sure to check out our fine sponsors, uh, BlickmanEngineering.com. They're mm-hmm. great folks at Blickman. Uh, innovating your brew day. That's uh, what check them do. out and uh, see us all at the conference, at the AHA conference. Uh, you could also go to TheBrewingNetwork.com slash store. Check out all the fine goodies they have. At, at, at some points, they do have Brew Strong shirts, and they do have them in your size. Yes. I know people keep writing in. I don't control the shirts, so stop emailing me about the shirts. <laughs> Send it to Scott or Justin or somebody who controls it. Um, and then uh, there's, there's <laughs> yeah, everybody's uh, not it. Uh, there's there's books. There's all sorts of goodies in there, and all those things. When you buy them, uh, the profits go directly to the bottom line of the Brewing Network. So uh, check it out, and uh, we'll see you uh, at the conference. Sounds good. Till then, brew strong, everybody. Brew strong. 